Amen. Amen. But I feel like they're taking over my space. No, that's... <laughs> Ashley, tell him, don't do it with that. Man. I got to just stay in my lane. I got to stay in my lane. Oh, man. <laughs> Whew. Well, this morning, uh, you know, it's great, uh, you know... Um, I, I'm, we're going to continue, and this morning we're, we've been talking about seeking God. Uh, you know, so this morning we're going to look at seeking God's will. Uh, you know, so I want you to turn, uh, you know, to Acts chapter nine, Acts chapter nine, and it's we're going to be looking at verses one through six, Acts chapter nine, verses one through six. This is Paul's conversion as he is on the road to Tarsus. Uh, and one of the things is, is that whenever we see this, uh, you know, Paul's conversion is actually written in three different times or written at three different times here in the chapter you know, in Acts alone. Uh, whenever we look at the history of this and we think about, uh, you know, the place and the time that this was written, a lot of these things were told by mouth and then they were written down. So we wonder why was it written three times in this one book? It's written three times in this one book to give us the importance of Paul's conversion. Uh, you know, because whenever we look at this, Paul writes the majority of the remainder of the books of the Bible or the remainder of the Bible. Uh, you know, Paul is the first missionary. Uh, you know, Paul is the one that God has deemed, uh, you know, that he wants him to be the leader or the spreader of the gospel to the Gentiles, which is us. So in other words, Paul's the one uh, you know, that God converted and then God gave him the word and met with him uh, you know, that he was supposed to minister to us. So Paul is our first minister, but it's really important to us as far as noticing this and what we see here. Whenever we get this understanding and we, we see this, we look at the back portion or we look at the history of Paul or Saul, uh, you know, that we would refer to him a lot this morning because whenever we think about Saul, Saul thought he was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing, didn't he? Uh, you know, Saul was, uh, you know, was learned in Scripture he knew the law. Uh, you know, he was a Pharisee. He had a teacher that was teaching him all of these things. Uh, and he knew that uh, what he was doing was right. So he put forth every bit of his energy to do and to make sure that the Old, the Old Testament, the laws, that they stood firm on themselves or for themselves, so Paul did everything that he could do to stamp out the way. Now, he was doing everything he could do to stamp out the way because he thought that the way was the wrong way. He couldn't accept it. So here comes Stephen. Y'all remember Stephen? Stephen was pretty much the first martyr uh, you know, for speaking out, uh, you know, against the law. 
uh, and to begin to bring about uh, the, you know, the New or the New Testament. One thing that we see here is that in Stephen's life and in Saul's life, both of them understood some things that possibly the apostles really didn't understand. Stephen knew that the New Testament could not happen if they continued to hang on to the Old Testament. Saul knew that the Old Testament could not survive if people began to go to the New Testament. It was either going to be the Old Testament way or no way. It was, and for Stephen, it was either going to be the New Testament way or it was going to be no way. They understood that. They saw that. Stephen was willing to give up his life to make sure that the way or the New Testament, the teaching of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that that was to be taught from that moment on. Saul began to kill to make sure that what they were teaching was not going to go on any further. He was stuck right here. Philippians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 6. It says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. That's Saul. Paul wrote it, but that's Saul's mindset. That's his thought process. I persecuted the church so harshly, but I was righteous according to the law. We, we have the tendency or can have the tendency to do exactly that to the lost and dying world that's around us. We, say, we hang so tightly on the gospel that we're not willing to even bring it to them. They're so bent on the world's way that they're not willing to listen to what we have. Are we going to be willing to continue with this battle to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is brought throughout the generations? Are we going to do it harshly? Or are we going to do it softly? We need to seek God. We need to seek His will and His way. I remember here in a conversation in between a couple of pastors that I knew. And both pastors, uh, you know, with these churches, they were, they were doing their best to grow their congregation. Uh, they wanted to reach out into the community. Uh, you know, and I overheard this conversation that, uh, you know, we do it this way. Well, you shouldn't do it that way. You should do it this way. Uh, and this conversation went on for somewhere around 25, 30 minutes. And I'm minding my own business. Just sitting there, just kind of gathering this in, just listening to all this stuff going on. 
And then I heard one of them. He paused for a moment. Kind of had that awkward silence feeling in the midst of a good conversation. And he says, well, you go ahead and you do it your way because I'm going to do it God's way. You do it your way, but I'm going to do it God's way. We can't leave God out of the equation. In churches, uh, you know, in our lives, we have to seek God first. And then we begin to do the things that we find that God has directed us and is leading us to do. Seeking God's way. We find whenever we seek God's way that there's three, there's three wills that we have you know, from God. The first will that we seek is God's sovereignty. We seek God's sovereignty through Scripture. And then we also seek God's moral law or God's morality. And of course, there we find that in the Ten Commandments. But then there is also a will of God that we seek that is individual. That each individual person must seek God's will in their lives so that we can accomplish the things that God needs for us to accomplish. Can I tell you that God's sovereign will never changes? God's moral will will never change. God's individual will for each and each and every one of us, that will change. And it can change. We have to constantly seek God and what He has for us to do. I, you know, I've told y'all, uh, you know, several times that you know it took me twelve years to become ordained through the Church of the Nazarene. I started the process in 1999. I finished my classes in 2009. So it took me eight years to finish all of my studies to become a pastor, uh, you know, of uh, you know, and be ordained in the Church of the Nazarene. In the Church of the Nazarene, you have to take all of those classes. You have to uh, you know, have a lifestyle that is worthy of being a pastor. But from there, you have to be in service for three years. So I had to be in service. I had to be a minister, paid staff member for three years before I could become ordained. You could do that during your studies or after your studies. Uh, mine came well after I studied. But I tell you what, in 1999, I, studied, I started the studies to be a youth pastor. In 2009, my last two classes, shepherding God's people, 
and the financial security of a church. I went into those two classes. I read that book, Shepherding God's People. And God said, huh, see, I told you. Youth pastor, it is not where I want you to be. For nine years, I thought he wanted me to be a youth pastor. For 12 to 13 years, I did volunteer work as a youth pastor. I did any and everything that the church wanted me to do or needed me to do that involved with the teens. I had a... I had, for 14 straight years, 14 consecutive years, I was a counselor for North Carolina's teen camp. So that was mine and Peggy's vacation for 14 years. For nine years, it was our anniversary because I was always involved with TNT. TNT always fell on mine and Peggy's wedding anniversary. I did everything that I could do with the youth. But God said, no, I have something else for you to do. If we don't, if we don't keep in contact with God and continue to search what he has for us to do, we will miss the task that he has before us. But let's look at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, because there's some things in here that I really want us to look at and to, and to grab a hold to this morning. Uh, it says, uh, it starts here and it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still, uh, you know, breathing out or, yeah, breathing out numerous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for, for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven shined around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. So in this meeting and in this encounter that Saul has with God, Saul asked two questions. He says, who are you, Lord? And then he says, what do you want me to do? Who are you? So in seeking God, we want to find out who God is. And then from there, we ask the question, what do you want for me to do? Whenever we seek God, we find God. And whenever we find God, we praise God. Whenever we seek God, we have to ask, who are you? And in finding out who he is, we praise him. And once we begin to praise him, we then have to ask the question, what do you want me to do? 
Because this life and this relationship that we now have with one another is not just simply for me to have this relationship. With this relationship, there has to be something that I do. Now, it's not saying that we have to work for God's graces. We don't have to work for God's blessings. We receive God's grace and God's blessings just simply because He loves us. It has nothing to do with what we do. It has nothing to do with who we are. It has everything to do with who He is. You know, today's society, I believe, has a, a little bit of a misunderstanding. We do or we don't do any more than what we have to do to believe in Jesus Christ. So we do the very minimum that's required. It's kind of like the question that Dave Ramsey you know, states, what is the least that I can do and be financially secure? Instead of saying open-endedly, what do you need for me to do? So what that creates is that creates as we are walking along this path and we come up to an obstacle. So I'm walking this path and I come up to this obstacle and somebody puts this question in my path that is questioning what I believe. I'm not firm enough in what I believe. I don't really understand all that I really say that I believe. So whenever this obstacle comes up, I just simply step over to the next path and I begin walking down this path. Now what that creates and the issue that that, that brings to us is that we get off the right path. Saul was on the right path. He was taught the Old Testament. He knew the laws. He knew about God. But he could not accept Jesus Christ. Therefore, whenever he was hit with believing in Jesus Christ, he said, I can't believe in that. I've got to walk this path. So he got off the right path. We do it. We get off the right path. And why do we get off the right path? We don't understand the path that we're on. Or we don't understand it enough to stand firm. I learned something yesterday. We went to Billy Graham. So we rode the motorcycles in a little bit of the rain. Uh, you know, we got into the Billy Graham. We got into his library, and there was a guy there that didn't ride motorcycles. And he goes, so you didn't get rained out? And I'm like, do you ever get rained out on motorcycle rides? Uh, you know, a motorcycle is going to ride whether it rains or not. We're going, right? Well, for me, it depends on how hard it's raining whenever I get to the motorcycle. Uh, you know. But that's the way that it is. We're supposed to go. But see, Billy Graham, somebody asked him not too far along into his ministry and made him question God's word or the authority of God's word. 
Billy Graham tells in his story, he says that I went out into the woods and I set my Bible on the stump. And they said, I sat there and I prayed to God and I prayed to God and I said, God, I said, I am going to take your word, this word, I am going to take it by faith and I am going to hang on to everything that is there. And he took it by faith. And he became one of the greatest, if not the greatest evangelist that has ever been. But he took it by faith. So we see this. And we see God's word. We've got to take it by faith. So whenever somebody comes to you and begins to question the authority of the scripture... We don't have all the answers, but we just simply say, I believe in what the Word of God says. I believe that it was given to man through the Holy Spirit, and that these words are the words that are needed for me to live a righteous life following Jesus Christ. That is what we're supposed to do. But we've got to stand firm on it. We cannot allow other people to sway us off of this path. It's got to be this path. So as we seek God. I... Uh, came across this story that I think is really fitting for us here. So I'm reading this book and it has this story about this young ensign that had the opportunity to take a battleship that was being decommissioned from the port that it was back to or to Hawaii to the United States to be there for the remainder of its career. And this young ensign was top in his class, and he had never had this task or was able to do this ever before. So he took it as a high honor, and he was really excited about this. So minutes after receiving these orders, the brig began to buzz with excitement, and people began to move and do their task as this young ensign began to bark out all of the commands. And he says, it's got to be done by the book because this is my first time. I want everyone to see that I know the book and it's got to be done right and it's got to be done efficient. So he just simply kept barking them out. One command right after the other. One command right after the other. And he makes it out of the harbor in record speed and everything was smooth. And then he gets this message from the captain. He thought it was a little strange that the message was coming over the radio. And the message goes, young man, you did an outstanding job. You made every movement precise to the book. You knew exactly what needed to be done according to the book. But he said there's one unwritten rule. That you failed to see. Never, ever, ever leave the port 
without the captain. Hmm. We get excited, right? And sometimes we take off without the captain. Uh, you know, sometimes we read books, and what that book sounds pretty good, and we get all excited about it, but we leave the captain alone. We forget to measure that book against the true book to be able to make sure that it matches. Oh, so wait a minute, I just got off the path. Got off the path of what God's true will is. There's a lot of good books out there that will lead you astray. There's a lot of good pastors out there that will lead you astray. But we've got to stand firm. We've got to make sure that what we have is grounded in the Word of God. Paul, whenever Paul sees this, or whenever we get to, we see Paul in, 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 in this and where he is, we find something there. And, and I want to leave this with you. Okay, because whenever we see in the, this in, in Paul's conversion, in us seeking God, Whenever we find him, there will be a dramatic impact in our lives. Whenever you find God's will, regardless of where you are, there will be a dramatic effect on your life. So whenever we meet him for the very first time and we kneel at the altar and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, there's got to be a dramatic change in your life. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. I've always grown up in church. There wasn't a dramatic change in my life. Yes, there was. There has to be because you are no longer the old person. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. There is a difference regardless of how long you've been in the church. Whenever God brings something before you and he says, I need you to relinquish this control. And you come to the altar and you ask for forgiveness and you want to be sanctified and you want the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to completely take over your life. There is a dramatic experience. Because you were never the same from that moment on. There is a change in your life. There has to be. There is no experience, there is no meeting of God that does not drastically affect who you are. Regardless of how long you've been a Christian. Regardless of how long you've been out in the world. There is a dramatic change 
in your life. Saul, no longer Saul, but now Paul, no longer persecuting Christians, but now delivering the gospel to the Gentiles, to the heathens of the world. There is and there will and there must be a dramatic change in your life. Every time you meet God and you find His will, there will be a change. There's got to be a change. There's got to be a change. We're no longer the same person. No longer the same. So tonight, we're going to talk about those three wills. Because right now, we need to focus in on this change. Have you experienced the change in your life? Are you at the cross this moment, this morning? Is God asking you to relinquish control of something in your life? It's your choice. But if you want to continue to walk in God's will, you must relinquish it. And allow that dramatic change to be in your life. Dramatic? Because whatever you're holding on to, whenever you release it, You're a changed person. You're different. You're not the same as you were whenever you first came to this altar. There's always a change. As we seek God, there'll always be those moments. There'll always be those moments. So let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As Robbie and them comes to the, you know, comes to lead us to the altar. Regardless of where you are. Whether you've been a Christian for many, many years. If God is standing in front of you at the cross and he says, I need you to give this up. This morning's the time to be able to bring it to him. Set it at his feet. Say, whatever you would have, God, this is what I want. Because there's a change that's to come. If you've never ever experienced that dramatic change in your life, you've never asked Him to be your Lord and Savior, this morning's the time. Because He wants you to be a new creature. He wants to give you salvation. Wherever you are this morning, let's seek God. 
seek him right where you are. Close your eyes, bow your heads, look into your life. Allow him to look into your life. The scripture says, search me, O Lord. If there's anything there that shouldn't be, please remove it. Remove it from my life. Find his will. The altar is open.
come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of jesus christ oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with Precious blood of Jesus Christ. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, dear Lord, for today. God, I thank you for each one that has made their way to the altar. God, I pray that you would touch them, dear Lord, and God, that they would feel, God, that they would see the change, but God, that also that we would be able to experience this change with them. You know, God, I pray that you would be with us, God, as we continue to seek you, to seek your will for us as individuals and as a church. God, that we would see those changes. And God, that we would celebrate those changes. In Jesus' name, amen.